When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. The story of Jesus at the wedding in Cana is about many things. The author of the Gospel of John presents it as an important sign that heralds the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Because of that, it is easy to see many elements in the story, like the wine and the purification jars, in symbolic terms. It is an astounding miracle story that defies all explanation, as is clearly the author's intention. But I am rather struck by the author's attention to certain details. He seems to betray an odd interest in certain characters in the story that you might expect him not to notice. It has long made me wonder how those characters might have experienced the story. What if we could see it from their perspective? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 6.2 Don't bother me with details. The servants had known for some time that this wedding was going to be a disaster. They knew better than anybody just how much wine your average Galilean crowd could consume at a wedding feast. And they knew that the people who planned this affair had simply not bought enough. And they wanted the wedding to be a success, just as much as anybody else. So they had gone to the chief steward and explained the whole problem to him. But he just patted their hands and said, Oh, oh, you poor ignorant servants wouldn't understand all the intricacies of planning a wedding. Just leave all the planning to professional stewards like me. Don't you worry. I have it all in hand. And I'm certainly not going to let anything go wrong at this wedding. If you all just work hard and do what you're told and don't bother me with details like where the wine is going to come from, 
I am sure everything will be fine. But still, they couldn't help but worry. They knew very well who would get blamed and yelled at and maybe even struck when the wine did inevitably run out. So, a couple of the servants, in desperation, even went to the bridegroom to raise the issue with him. But he just told them that if they had any issues, they should raise them with the chief steward and not trouble him with little things like this. When the bridegroom and the chief steward met up to discuss it a bit later, oh, you can bet that they griped and complained to each other about how hard it is to get good and competent help. You know, the steward intoned, these unskilled laborers just think that they know everything when they really should just be deferring to smart people like us. They're really lucky that we even give them work to do and actually feed them. When the party finally started, the servants worked so hard to make it a success in whatever ways were in their power. They made sure that the guests were as contented as they could be without necessarily filling up their wine cups constantly. They tried to distract them with sweet figs and dates. They directed their attention towards the various entertainments that had been arranged. And, yes, they watered down the wine as much as they dared. They did this not only to stretch it out as far as possible, but also in order to be sure that no one was too drunk when the inevitable eventually happened and people learned that there was no more wine. These were the kinds of tricks that servants had been using for generations just to survive in a somewhat hostile work environment. Then the moment came. One of them would have to go and tell the steward that there was no more wine. They knew from long experience what would ensue, how the steward would blame the servants for stealing the wine or perhaps drinking it behind his back. He would demand to know why no one had warned him about this problem. What's more, he would be sure to ask the question loudly and in front of all the guests so that they would know exactly who to blame for this whole debacle. But, just as the servant was stealing himself to go, one of the others tapped him on the shoulder and pointed to a woman on the other side of the room. I know her, she said. She comes from the next town over, a little place called Nazareth. She is known as a kind person. 
I think she must be related to the bride in some way because she's not really the kind of prestigious guest who would normally be invited to an affair like this. I think she was married to a carpenter or a, a builder or something and that he died a few years ago. But maybe, as a lowly carpenter's wife, she might have a little more understanding for our situation. Let me go talk to her and see if she has any ideas. Many have heard the next part of the story, how the servant went to the woman to explain the problem, and she called over her son. The son seemed to be a little bit annoyed with his mother then, perhaps displeased because she was pushing him to act before he was ready. But after that hesitation, he seemed to be all in. He pulled the servants into a little conspiratorial huddle and explained what they were going to do. The servants were honestly kind of thrilled at the way that the man spoke to them. He seemed to understand better than anyone else they'd met all day how hard they had been working and how they felt as if the success or failure of this whole affair was squarely upon their shoulders, despite how little support they'd been given. Most of all, he acknowledged that they knew what was needed better than anyone else. But they were still kind of shocked, though in an amused way, at the plan he came up with. He directed them towards six huge stone water jars that had been left in the servant's kitchen and told them to fill them with water. They were certainly puzzled by this. These jars were generally used by the big, important guests who liked to make a show of observing the rites of purification. Imagine their amusement, therefore, when he told them to fill the wine bottles from them and take them to the chief steward to taste. And you can bet that they laughed and laughed as they peeked around the corner and watched the look on that man's face as some of the best wine that he had ever tasted hit his educated palate. And he had no clue where it had come from. But they knew. The wedding party turned out to be very memorable indeed. The servants had been run off of their feet for the rest of the time. But there was such a spirit of fun and wonder that they didn't really mind. They were glad to be part of it. There was so much wine to go around that everyone got as much as they desired and more. And it was so good and so potent that everyone was in the best of moods. 
But the best part, as far as the servants were concerned, was that they were the only ones who knew where the wine was coming from. Only they could go back again and again to those massive stone jars to continue to serve the people. So anyways, the people had a great time and the servants had fun too. But at the end of the night, the servants gathered back into the kitchen and took stock of things. Now, there had been six stone jars, each one able to contain up to 120 liters, or if you prefer, 30 gallons. And they had filled them all to the brim. Now, the people at the party had certainly done their very best, but even they could not drain over 720 liters of the best quality wine. So, at the end of the night, the servants still had three full pots of the best wine anyone had ever tasted. The question was, what would they do with it? What would they do with this finest quality wine that only they knew where it was? They debated telling the chief steward about it for like 10 seconds. Then they turned to a debate on how much they could get on the open market. After all, they said to one another, the steward did instruct them not to bother him with little details, like where the wine came from. You have probably heard the alarming reports. Many employers in many sectors of the economy are having a very hard time getting workers these days. The fast food industry seems to be particularly hard hit, and many establishments are running short shifts for shortened hours. Employers are complaining that nobody wants to work anymore. At the same time, we seem to have a huge groundswell of workers who are beginning to express how tired they are of working full-time and yet not being able to afford to live in the cities where they work. They are complaining about mistreatment by management and many seem to be deciding that they are just not going to put up with it anymore. So. We are living through what is being called the Great Resignation, which may be a good thing for some workers who are leaving for better jobs and better balanced lives. But at the same time, it seems like it might lead to a general collapse of industries that rely on low-wage workers. And yes, there is a certain threat of inflation bound up in all of that. So I guess the question is, what does the Bible say about these thorny employment issues of our time? Now, 
I know what some people would say about the Bible's position on these things. There are lots of people who just seem to take it for granted that the Bible comes down hard on the side of extreme, unbridled capitalism. You may be able to find a few specific verses that, when you pull them out of context, seem to imply that. But I do believe that the overall concern of the Bible points to another perspective. That is why I wanted to try and retell for you the story of the wedding in Cana from the point of view of the servants. The odd thing about that story in the Gospel of John is that you are actually able to read it from the point of view of the servers. The Gospel writer specifically underlines that perspective at one point when he says, But of course, the servants who had drawn out the water knew. He goes out of his way to highlight the fact that they, and they alone, were the ones who were in on what it was that Jesus was doing. And once you realize that the Gospel writer is interested in their perspective, you see that they are actually the key to the whole story. They must have been the ones who went to Jesus' mother in the first place because she sent Jesus to them. They are the ones who are ultimately behind the divine solution to everything that went wrong at that wedding feast. But this is not a perspective that you find only in this gospel story. Again and again, as you go through the Bible, you see a very real concern for the welfare and care of the people who actually do the work that keeps the economy and the society going because they matter. There is a biblical concern that they be paid fair wages. The prophet Malachi, for example, says this about God's concern. I will be swift to bear witness against those who oppress the hired workers in their wage. The message that is consistently presented in the Bible is that if you mistreat workers and if they cannot afford to live on what you pay them, there will be dire consequences and judgment. I would argue that this is exactly the kind of thing that we are seeing happen in our society, with various sectors of the economy actually teetering on the brink of collapse because there are not enough people doing the work. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so that you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode is Disco Lounge. The music is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible, 
Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.